0: Hey, look at us who would have thought not, not me. me who would have thought that we would get to fucking where are we who are you what yeah <laughs> same mm-hmm. that that yeah. exactly it's uh it's the end of july already yeah I, that's what i'm saying i don't i don't like it and i don't understand it it's uh pretty wild it's a bit much. I I I'm fine with stopping. Alright. <laughs> we'll just stop out it here. Then. Okay. Thank you. Thank you. I would like to thank the TVA for hearing me what? out. It's <sighs> It's from Loki, and if you guys haven't seen Loki, no, some... don't, because it'll hurt you. It'll make you so sad. It's been over a week, and I'm not it's almost been two weeks at the point at this point, and I'm still not over it. Owen Wilson, he just wanted his jet ski. All
1: right. I'm wow. not a Marvel person. I know. So. I
0: love you anyway. But so, you know what I
1: am a person of
0: true crime. Interest. I was gonna say. On crime culture, did we say it last week? I don't think we said it last week. I think week. so. I think we broke the... No, I think we broke it. Somebody let us know. <laughs> we could let us know if we went and listened back, but... Yeah, but I'm not going to do that. I have to hear my voice. <laughs> I already listened to this episode once. I was there. Oh, I thought you meant this episode, and I was like, wait. Just, it's I'm not one the of the ones where we have to re-record it because somebody forgot to hit go. Um, this time. Somebody not being me. Somebody not being you, for once. It It's... For once. Um, yeah, I mean... For every time. I know. I, what I are tried. we talking about? So today, this is a Patreon patron poll pick. Try saying that well, three times shit. fast. I love to say it. And this was... I'm trying to think what day it is. Yes, we can mention this. So this was... We have two pick-your-poison-tier patrons. And... That would be Stevie and Lucien. And therefore, even though we told them to play nice, I'm just kidding. Um, of course, they picked, each picked an episode that they both thought was interesting. And one of them was this. One of them was another one that we will be getting to. Um, I kind of have an idea as to how we should handle this. But at the time, we did not really know how to handle this. What, what should happen if two people... Pick different ones.
1: Right. Yeah. We but we have so, a tiebreaker.
0: So yes, yeah, so we had a tiebreaker. Um and for those of you who are the Patreon pick people, um, I think, or did we make this available to all of our patrons this video? I don't remember. I don't remember. I don't remember. Um if you can't see it, then that's your answer. That's our answer. Um <laughs> So basically we had my cats be the tiebreaker and when I tell you it took upwards of 40 minutes, 45 minutes to corral them. You know the phrase? It's like herding cats. They lived up to that this week. <laughs> um, yeah. But eventually we did. We, me, me, got them to cooperate. And so technically it's the Patreon patron poll and puss pick. Whoa. I know. Isn't that great? Oh, I came up with that myself. Can't you tell? Um, So, yeah. So, if you want a say, again, you can join our Patreon.
1: If you want to be the tiebreaker.
0: Yes. Um, I'm trying to think. I think the name of the tier is a person in that situation is God. That would make sense because you get to choose and I think that it's whatever you the $10 God. tier is. I, I don't remember if it's $10 or if it's like another tier thing. I, I See, you go by numbers. I go by titles. <laughs> and together we make a single person. Um, right. But to hop right into it. So yeah, so our cats, my cats picked the Hollywood Ripper. Um, it was one of two that were picked by our Patreon patrons, Aunt Stevie and Lucian. once again. And hopping right into it, so we're first going to talk about Trisha Picaccio. She was the oldest of three children. Uh, She was known for being very intelligent. She was very responsible, kind, um, just overall like a good kid all around. Uh, She was very active within her high school community. She went to Glenbrook South High School. She was a calculus student, so already like she was smart. Do we know Um, what...
1: what this is U.S. based, and what state yes. we're in?
0: Yes, we are in we are in Illinois, just outside of Chicago. Okay. In I have it written down here. I just need to find it. Glenview, Glenview, Illinois, and it is. Right now we are in 1993, so you're a alive. I'm dead then. Um, and just yeah, she was a good kid. Uh, she was on the debate team. She played clarinet. She took calculus. I'm going to mention that twice because it just boggles my mind that she would take calculus, that she would choose to take calculus. you don't get
1: a choice in high school and Mm. you just get assigned a math.
0: Yeah, but she was smart enough to take the math. All right. I was not smart enough to take the math. I had to take algebra twice. Um, And it wasn't because I had to repeat it. It was that they were like, there is nothing else that is... On your level that you can take. Everything else is far beyond you. <laughs> yep. Um, and I still passed by the skin of my teeth twice. But anyway, enough about me. Um, so Diane picaccio who's Trisha's mother, she spoke of her close relationship with her daughter to 48 hours as Maureen. I think it's Mayor. Um, I'll be honest, 48 hours bums me out a lot. So I try not to watch it because yeah. it makes me very sad and very stressed. Um, but I'm not I'm it's spelled M-A-H-E-R and I know that is another way to spell my last name Mahar but I'm pretty sure that's not it I think it's mayor which is what most people think my name is pronounced we're making it a lot about me so I'm gonna stop either way Diane Picaccio said quote she had a great attitude about everything and she knew what she wanted out of life end quote and Picaccio's best friend Karen Jones agreed saying quote Trisha was an amazing girl was probably one of the most energetic and happy people I've ever seen. Her mom was very caring and treated us all like her children, end quote. And so the Picaccio household was kind of where, like, all of the kids of the neighborhood would go to hang out because mm-hmm. they liked the the Picaccio kids. Uh, Diane was always like, here, here, let me house. feed you. It, it, it wasn't even just the fun house. It was like the safe house. Yeah. Um. But on the night of August 13th, 1993, this is days before trisha picaccio was to move to indiana to start her freshman year at purdue university Mm -hmm. she jones and the rest of their fellow members of the class of 1993 went out to a road rally for one last like fun time no yep and jones (sighs) later told 48 hours quote a whole group of us got together for a scavenger hunt for one of the final parties of the summer before we all went off to college we ended things at the restaurant and people started getting in their cars to go home, end quote. Okay. So at about 1 a.m. on August 14th, Picaccio returned to her family's home in Glenview and walked to the side door. And as she went to unlock it, somebody grabbed her left arm, twisting and breaking it before <sighs> stabbing her to death 12 times. Oh, my God. She was 18 years old
1: yeah th- I mean, there's so many other directions that could go. You say it's like the it's the last hurrah before everyone goes to college. They went to a road rally. you think, Okay, car accident. you think um everybody gets drunk and
0: somebody falls in a lake um like everybody gets drunk and somebody gets a little too drunk, yeah, and yeah, there's so many other know, things yeah. that could happen.
1: She's at her door, she is
0: unlocking her door, and never yeah, keys where it are in the lock, yeah, wow. Um, So, hours later, shortly after sunrise, Picaccio's father, Rick, was walking out of the garage (gasps) to his van. No. Oh, it gets better because her mother was at work. Her mother had come and gone. Yeah. So, Rick Picaccio was walking out of the garage to his van when he noticed his daughter's body on the landing at the side of the house, just out of the corner of his eye. My God. And he explained to 48 Hours, quote, I just happened to see two little tennis shoes sticking up by the side door. And when I saw it was her, I dropped the coffee cup. I died right then and there, end quote. Wow. Yeah.
1: Yeah, Yeah, you don't come back from that.
0: Yeah. So Rick immediately just tried to do what he could to save her. Yeah. Um, He said to 48 Hours, quote, I tried to revive her. That is the worst feeling in your life when you can't do nothing to somebody you love, end quote. Yeah. Just, oh God, it just, it rips my heart out. So Trisha's brother, Doug Picaccio, who was a year younger than her, he was 17 at the time. um, He was asleep when this all went down. They also had a a younger brother, Tommy, who was 13. The boys were asleep. And so Doug quite literally woke up to his father screaming. Um, He told 48 Hours, quote, I remember just waking up to this blood curdling scream of my father. And it was Doug call 911. Doug call 911. I don't really want to describe the details of what I saw. I have nightmares about it all the time. End quote. Yeah. So Doug did call the police. And after they arrived, Rick called Diane. And all he told her was that she needed to come home and that something had happened with Trish. Because, you know, like, you don't want to upset somebody yeah. who also has to drive home yeah, and How do be you in say? It, state. Yeah.
1: I mean, she's already, like, something happened. You need to come home right now that you're already in such, like, a, yeah. a heightened state that, like...
0: Yeah. And and it was honestly it was a good call to make just because, um, again, Diane and Trish Trisha were very close. Yeah. Um, And when she arrived and learned that her daughter was dead, she was understandably inconsolable. Yeah. Uh, One of the officers who responded, Chicago police officer Ray Salahovich, he saw Diane arrive and later told 48 hours, quote, I heard a lady screaming and the mother had just exited her vehicle and she was running towards Trish. I basically tackled her. I didn't want yeah. her to see Trish like this and remember her daughter like that. End quote.
1: Yeah, that's Just, the thing. It's like even like at open casket funerals and stuff, it's like, that's not like I always thought no, that was yeah. weird. She's like, that's not how I want to remember this person. Yeah. Like, that's not the last like vision of their face I wanna see. Like
0: and it's something that you can never get out of your, or at least for me, I've been to one open casket funeral. It was to an educator with whom I was very close. yeah. And she had died of pancreatic cancer. It literally just destroyed her from the inside out. And they had an open casket funeral. And my mother said to me, like, don't go up there. And I was like, no, like I'm, I'm an adult. Like at that point I was out of college. I mean, out of high school. And I was like, no, I can do it. Like I can handle it. I'm fine. And it is something that I, to this day, just, cannot get out of my mind and yeah. it's not even what she looked like in my like time yeah. of knowing her when she was alive
1: yeah i had that with um like a an elderly neighbor that we were very very close with mm-hmm. and i'm like i like it was one of those things it's like you have to go up to the the casket because yeah. it's, it's rude if you don't and i'm like yeah, yeah but i don't want to see this person like that
0: yeah no i just yeah so it's word rough. of advice don't do an open casket or um, d- use your or own do, judgment but like yeah yeah <laughs> or do like you can um just you know what wear like a star spangled bikini so no one's looking at how different you look S- solved problem solved
1: i'm not for my for my own self i will not do open casket anything i will not do casket anything. you know how much that shit costs
0: Fuck i know that. it's it, no it's a it's a price gouging situation return me to the earth there you go luke perry did it you can too um but after that, sorry, we're going off the rails and we're only like 15, not even minutes in. But so Trisha was pronounced dead at the scene, after which Doug told 48 Hours, quote, I remember my chest just stank the minute I realized she was gone and there was nothing I could do to help her, end quote. So her family took this hard. Yeah. um, Understandably so. Despite Cook County, Illinois detectives interviewing dozens of people, they came up with no leads as to who would have wanted to hurt Trisha. Um, it also didn't help that many of the families in the community, they refused to talk the, to the police, refused to let their children talk to the police because they were f- afraid for their own children's well-being. Yeah. Um. So Diane said to 48 Hours, quote, we were told that we have to understand that some murders go unsolved. And I was like, there is no way somebody is going to come to my door outside my door and do this and get away with it. End quote. Yeah,
1: that's terrifying. It's like, you don't know if this person did this randomly, if they were hunting her down, if they had a vendetta against the family. Like, yeah. How do you have two other siblings, like two other children and say like, oh, well, say, la vie. I guess we're never going to figure out who it is. Like, that's not how that works.
0: No, no. So frustrated by this lack of progress with the case and also struggling with the notion of living in the same house where Trisha was murdered, um, the Boccaccio's temporarily moved out and then eventually returned to live in the home four years later after they had done some healing. I don't so, think I could live back yeah. there again. That's See, I don't think I could, but at the same time, from a logistical standpoint... Financially, how are they going to they can't buy a second home and just leave that one? It's going to be incredibly difficult to sell the home because it's a property where somebody was killed, yeah, um, like I think from a fiscal standpoint, they didn't really have much of a choice, yeah so but regardless, so soon after they returned home, they got a surprise visit from one of Doug Piccaccio's closest childhood friends, Michael Thomas Gargiulo, who is he was a football player on the high school team. Um, he had been like friends with Doug since like the second grade. They mm-hmm. were very close. He lived right down the street. Um, Diane told 48 hours quote, Michael showed up at the door and he says, I, I need to talk to Rick. And I said, well, he's at work, Michael. And he said, well, can I wait? And I said, Yes. He sat and waited for over an hour for him to come home from work, sat at my kitchen table, end quote. So mm-hmm. when Rick did arrive home, he was surprised and a little bit confused to see Gargiulo telling 48 Hours, quote, I remember walking in the garage door and I looked at him and he had this look on his face like he was gonna say something to me, end quote. But before Gargiulo could say anything, Rick said, quote, the, dra- the garage door opens. His father and one of his sisters come in and say, we have to leave, Michael. And they picked him up and whisk him out and the door closed. And I told Diane, I says, golly, that that was kind of odd. But the look on his face End quote. And so he kind of just paused. Mm-hmm. Um, but it was at that point that Rick immediately became suspicious that Gargiulo knew something about the murder of his daughter. And that his parents, his family, were protecting him. Hmm. Um, the Gargiulo family. Yeah. So the Picachios went to the police that were working on Trisha's case. But when investigators went to follow up on the lead, they found that Gargiulo had mysteriously disappeared. All right. So soon after he left Chicago... Gargiulo resurfaced in Los Angeles, California, with aspirations of becoming an actor or a model and also training to be a pro boxer. Okay. Lots of things going on. All right. And director Temple Brown, who is best known for the 1997 comedy Eight Heads in a Duffel Bag, starring Joe Pesci, which you can okay. watch on Pluto TV. I'm not going to do a whole dive into the Rotten Tomatoes and the because I think we can infer. Yeah. But um, at the time, Brown was a student at the USC School of Cinematic Arts. Um, University of Southern California. Yeah. When she cast Gargiulo as a boxer named Carlos in her short film, Boxing's Been Good to Me, which was ultimately released in 2000. But at this point, we're still in the 90s. Okay. So she later told 48 Hours, quote, he was interested in getting into acting. And this was a good little project for him to, I guess, cut his teeth on a little bit. What struck me about him was that he actually had boxing experience. I think he was perfect for that part he He looked it and he performed it very well end quote
1: I guess that's a good thing about like being an actor and also having like a bunch of other hobbies that you could just pad your your uh, resume with. Be like, I also do boxing, horseback riding, uh, oh, yeah. a million things. Like, do everything so that you can always be the perfect person that they're looking for. That is how you get work. Like, yeah. straight up. I know this it's, because you know, I have no talents.
0: It. That too. Well, and, and there have been cases in which, like, actors have gotten jobs and they've lied about it yeah. and then they've said later on, like, oh yeah, I said I could ride a horse and then they went, okay, time to ride the horse and I went, uh, I don't know how to ride a horse. (laughs) Yeah. But yeah, so to pay the bills, Gargiulo worked as a bouncer at a Hollywood nightclub called the Rainbow Bar and Grill. And he did that for a few years while trying to make it before getting a job at a heating and cooling company. It was at this point, it's about 2001, that he met Chris Duran and Duran had found himself with a flat tire on Pinehurst Road in the Hollywood Hills. Mm -hmm. And Duran told 48 Hours, quote, I'm changing my flat tire and this guy comes walking down the street and he was good looking and he stopped and offered to help me change the tire, end quote. And then Duran's friend, 22-year-old Ashley Lauren Ellerin, came out of her house that she was renting on that street to see what was going on because the Mm -hmm. flat was like right outside her house. So Duran said, quote, Ashley was standing there with me and he was good looking and she was beautiful and I was like, no, it's okay. I know how to change a tire, so he stood there talking with Ashley, and they were, you know, talking and flirting. Mm-hmm. They exchanged numbers, and that was our first meeting. End quote. So Ellerin was a part-time fashion student, and they're oh, coming they're for coming you. for me! Ah. <laughs> <laughs> um, Malloryn was a part-time fashion student and was one of those people that was just loved by everybody she met. She was the life of the party. She lit up a room, like all of that stuff that you don't want qu- people to say about you. Yeah, all because you'll end say- up on forty-eight hours. <laughs> yeah, right before something terrible happens. <laughs> yes, uh, Duran described her as "quote just beautiful and fun and spontaneous." End quote. Her other friend, Justin Peterson, told 48 Hours, quote, she was amazing. I mean, she just had this charisma to her. She could go into a room and just take complete control over the room, end quote. So one thing that Ellerin and Gargiulo had in common was that they were both attractive and popular and had many people interested in dating them. Uh-huh. Uh One of Gargiulo's former co-workers, a fellow bouncer at the Rainbow Bar and Grill, Anthony DiLorenzo, told 48 hours later that Gargiulo was pretty social and he had no difficulties with his romantic life, saying, quote, he always had girlfriends, right. end quote. Good for uh, t- It gets worse. Um, Tamir Leary, another fellow bouncer, agreed with DiLorenzo, saying, quote, he always had girls after him. He was a good-looking, clean-cut guy. You know, the waitresses were always after him, end quote. However. Gargiulo was only interested in one woman and that was Ellerin. Unfortunately, as is the situation with many cases like this, um Ellerin was not at all interested.
1: Yeah, it's always you want the one. Like I can have any girl except for this one. Well, guess what I'm going to do? Make her
0: like me. Yeah. So, Ted Gargiulo uh, and not even just Ted Bundy. It's it's a it's a yeah. it's a problem. It's a thing. It's a big thing. So Gargiulo, for all intents and purposes, became obsessive. He kept calling Ellerin at home. Um, Eventually, he would just show up to her house uninvited and unannounced. Like, he would just walk in. Yeah. Um, Her friends even said that one night he walked into her house during a party, sat down, and was just laser focused on Ellerin the entire time. He didn't, like, talk to anybody, interact with anybody. Like, he just watched her the entire time. That's
1: not a way to get somebody to like you. No. Like that's a way to get out. a
0: restraining order. Yeah. So, Ellerin continued to reject his advances and just eventually was like, I'm just going to ignore him. And eventually, she began dating a model and up-and-coming actor that some of you might know named Ashton Kutcher, <gasps> who was one of the breakout stars on the hit kit sitcom That 70s Show, which had just come out a couple years ago. So, he was yeah. like kind of in the beginning of it. It was like, dude, where's my car era? Yes. So, on the night of February 21st, 2001, Ellerin was supposed to go to a post-Grammy awards party, casual, with Kutcher. But he was running late and kept pushing back the time that he was supposed to pick her up. Okay. Kutcher later told detectives that at 8.24 p.m., he spoke with Ashley, who told him she had just gotten out of the shower. Kutcher didn't end up arriving at her house until about 10.45 p.m. I don't care how cute he is. I would have dumped his ass. Um, Yeah, right? At that point, he says he was confused because the lights were on, but nobody appeared to be home, which story of my life. People say that about me all the time. Uh-huh. Um, but just as he was about to leave, he kind of glanced through a window and he was also leaving. He basically was like, I think she was mad at me because I took so long yeah. and just wouldn't answer the door. So he's about to leave and he glances through a window and notices that there's what he thought was red wine spilled on the floor and was just kind of like, oh. And then left because... Innocent I, rich
1: white boy. Of course it's well, red wine. It can't I, actually, be anything else. I don't think else. he was
0: rich. I don't think he was rich. I mean, rich now, but I don't think he was raised rich if I remember correctly. Um, but I'm more like, he was like, oh, and I was going to say God doesn't give with both hands before I remembered. I think he was an engineering student before this. So oh, God apparently does give with all fucking four limbs. Like, it's fine. Meanwhile, I get like a pinky. Um so, yeah. So, needless to say, this was not wine. Um, It was blood. But, obviously, you're not going to sit there and see, like, a dark stain and go, oh, that's blood. Unless you're us. Yeah. and Or listening to this podcast. But the next morning, Ellerin's roommate and close friend, Jennifer DeSisto, returned to their house, only to find Ellerin's body lying just outside their bathroom. Um, Oof. She had been stabbed 47 times after getting <laughs> out of the shower. Ooh, very... Psycho, yes, Ellerin's injuries included a neck wound that nearly severed her head, <gasps> yeah, um, deep punctures to her back, chest, and stomach. Um, in some cases, they were up to six inches deep. Ah, <sighs> yeah, according to um a detective who we will get into in a moment, um he said that one stab wound, quote, actually penetrated the skull and took out a chunk of skull like a puzzle piece end quote
1: oh that's one of those things that like makes your skeleton like shiver
0: inside yeah. of your skin like yep yep uh yep um and that was detective tom small who kind of worked he not kind of he worked the case yeah um this became like we talk about how like detectives Like spend their entire career trying to solve a case and it becomes their like whole thing. That's this was his case. Okay, this was that case for him. Uh, DeSisto later told 48 Hours, quote, I entered the house and Ashley was laying there across the two stairs covered in blood. And that's when I realized that, no, you know, this is not happening. Yeah. Who could have done this? At that point, it was just like a sense of trauma came over me. I thought maybe the person was still there, and I kind of ran out hysterical. I dropped that phone and ended up getting into the car and calling from my cell phone 911, end quote. The authorities arrived quickly and confirmed the worst. Ellerin had been murdered. Detective Small later told 48 Hours, quote, It was just a very bad scene, a lot of anger, a lot of rage. Somebody had isolated Ashley Ellerin to, to kill her and was very, very angry when he did it, end quote. They then began questioning DeSisto as to whether or not Elrin had any enemies or if DeSisto knew of anyone capable of killing her friend. She later told 48 Hours, quote, it was a given from the get-go that it was obviously someone she was either familiar with or knew to let them in. Because as we had said, the the house was kind of double-gated, end quote. Mm -hmm. Even with testimonials from friends, Detective Small had very little to go on as he dove into this case. There was little to no evidence. There wasn't any blood spatter inside or outside. There were no pieces of clothing that could have pointed him in the direction of who killed her. Uh, He later told 48 Hours, quote, we had teams of detectives searching the interior and the exterior. We walked the streets. We canvassed every building, door knocked every house. You know, we were just looking for any type of direction or clues that would lead to a suspect. So we had to start with the victim and worked backwards to find her associations, end quote. So the investigators interviewed Ellerin's other friends besides DeSisto, like Duran and Kutcher, as Mm -hmm. well as Mark Durbin, who was an aspiring actor and Ellerin's property manager with whom she was secretly in a relationship and she and Durbin had actually had sex that night. However, both Kutcher and Durbin were ruled out as suspects. As police continued to struggle to find a lead, Ashley's friends... Came to them with the suspicion that the heating and air conditioning guy who they only knew as Mike and the heating and air conditioning guy. Yeah. um, They they said that they thought he could have been involved because he had been bothering their friend. Mm -hmm. However, they again couldn't remember his name and the police didn't take it too seriously because they felt that it was somebody closer to her who had been responsible. Than oh, we don't know this guy's name. So Detective Small later told 48 Hours, quote, he was not in their circle of friends. They were creeped out by him. It takes a little bit more than that to get focused on someone as a somebody as a suspect in a case like this, end quote. But finally, months later, investigators were able to figure out Gargiulo's name and added him to their list of suspects. Mm -hmm. So then in February 2003, Gargiulo began a short lived relationship with Maria Garola who was the former wife of a famous Mexican singer who had hired Gargiulo to fix her air conditioning unit. So we got a lot of celebos here. Yeah. She later confirmed to detectives that he followed her around, like, just in her house when he was Creepy. supposed to be working until she agreed to go on a date with him. know. Yeah. But also she confirmed to detectives, like, later on, that he wore blue shoe booties. Please remember this. Okay. After they began dating... Gargiulo moved into her Lakewood home with her and her four children. But things quickly ended when allegedly Gargiulo punched her. And then (sighs) like not not sequentially like he didn't do this and then do this immediately after. But he also asked her for a loan. Okay, And she was like, no. Uh, Instead, she filed a restraining order. And in that she alleged that he was stalking her and had threatened to kill her. Yeah. Meanwhile, the Boccaccio's. Still have not given up on trying to find their daughter's killer. Um, It's been nearly 10 years at this point. Um, They continued to hound the police. They would come to them with any like tidbits of information, any theories that crossed their minds and just really just were not going to let this go. Yeah. Nor should they. But in 1999, Cook County Sheriff's Detective Lou Sala was assigned to the case. So then the same the same year that Ellerin was murdered in 2002, DNA technology was advanced enough that investigators were able to revisit the evidence found at the scene of the Picaccio murder yeah. and kind of look at that through a new lens. So as investigators worked to establish a profile for the killer, DNA testing found that there was male DNA under Picaccio's fingernails. Detective Sala told 48 Hours, quote, at that point, we began a DNA campaign of everybody, including the Boccaccio family, friends of hers that were with her at the road rally that night. We even tested the dog, end quote. Wow. Yeah. So somebody else that the detectives wanted to look into through this DNA campaign was Gargiulo. He was the childhood best friend of her brother. He lived down the street. So after tracking him down in Los Angeles... Cook County investigators went out to California to ask LAPD detectives for assistance. This is right when they, while looking into the Ellerin's case, they had like figured out his name and added him to the list of suspects. It's like very serendipitous. Um, So when Detective Small got the phone call, he said, quote, my partner said the the name and looked at me and my jaw was on the floor, end quote. Mm -hmm. And also I think I should note the only reason they found his name was, pet warning, um, Gargiulo had been involved in a dog hitting accident. Oof. But even that, just like, they would not have gotten this guy's name. Yeah. And we'll talk about why in a bit. But, yeah. So Detective Small told 48 Hours, quote, all of a sudden we get a phone call. Cook County's in town. He says, well, who is it you, you're looking for? And they came. They, they named Michael Gargiulo. They showed up. I held up a photo. I said, is this who you're looking for? And they said, yeah, how do you know him? And I said, well, right now he's a potential suspect in a murder investigation. What do you guys have? End quote. Uh-huh. And then they're like, we're the same thing. They did the Spider-Man Slow point. motion high five. Yes. <laughs> so the two teams of investigators compared the ways in which the two victims like had been stabbed, Ellerin and Picaccio. Yeah. And Small said the similarities were phenomenal. End quote. Yeah. So Detective Small agreed to help Cook County find Gargiulo. However, remember I said they only found him because of the dog hitting thing. Yeah. They found out the name because of the dog hitting accident. They could not find where this guy lived because he never put utilities or leases in his own name. Now remember I've mentioned like he he dates a woman and he moves in with her. Yeah. He doesn't own his own place. He doesn't have utilities in his name. He like is for all yeah. intents and pur- purposes, under the radar. Yep, yep. So, nevertheless, they were ultimately able to track him down by finding out who his girlfriend was and where they were living, like his girlfriend at the time, where they were living, the apartment was in her name Yeah, for the lease. And that's the only reason they were able to track him down. So, they went to this apartment in West L.A. that the couple shared and they were like, we want to collect a DNA sample. And Gargiulo was not fucking happy. He became belligerent. He was yelling. He even tried to fight the police officers. Yep. But eventually he begrudgingly applied and provided them with a sample. So this sample was sent to the Illinois State Police Crime Lab, which determined that the DNA found under Picaccio's fingernails was a match to Gargiulo's. Yep. However, Though Detective Sala wanted to arrest Gargiulo immediately right then and there, prosecutors said that they could not do so without having more incriminating evidence against him. Um, Okay. The Picachios were pissed. Small was pissed. Sala was pissed. Everybody was pissed. Uh, Sala told 48 Hours, quote, because they said Michael Gargiulo's DNA might have gotten on Trisha in a way that had nothing to do with the murder. At the time, he was a friend of the family. Oh, it gets worse. At the time, he was a friend of the family, you know, and you one would have to wonder, could it have gotten there by casual contact? End quote. However, many witnesses told the police then and reiterated that Picaccio hugged and touched friends and her boyfriend on the day she died. Yes, she did not come in contact with Gargiulo that day. Yeah. So this casual contact in question um, happened. That, like that they were saying, well, she had this casual contact with this per- with with this guy. It wasn't that day. It was the day before she was killed. OK, she had a run in with Gargiulo and another friend named Scott Olson, who later told 48 Hours, quote, we drove past the Boccaccio's house. Who do we see rounding the corner walking away from us? There's Trisha. Mike's driving and he's kind he kind of swerves over, slows down, swerves over, gets right behind her. And we saw that she was crying. So she's like, hey, give me a ride like whoa okay sure get in so she gets in the car she said to take her to take her to so-and-so's house so we just we just drove her she dropped we dropped her off and that was it end quote Mm -hmm. so like i said people were really pissed about this that they have the dna evidence and the like Cook County State's Attorney's Office just yeah, refused so they to prosecute, anything. and they also—that was the only explanation they gave. They would not go into it further. They wouldn't provide like multiple sources that I found, like at various times, would reach out for comment. They wouldn't provide comment. Like yeah. they just really, they really—it was like it's a—it's a general consensus that the ball was dropped here. Yep. And now, Judge Jack B- Blakey, who was a former prosecutor for the Cook County State's Attorney's Office, um. In 2011, he confirmed that because of the ride that Olsen and Gargiulo provided Picaccio with and Gargiulo's friendship with Doug, it meant that he spent a lot of time at the Picaccio home and therefore the DNA found under her fingernails, it couldn't be confirmed that that was indicative of foul play. Yeah. So with nothing else to tie him to the Picaccio murder or the Ellerin murder, Gargiulo left Hollywood and was once again in the wind. Yeah. Just broke up with his girlfriend and fucking left. Yep. So over the next few years, Gargiulo continued to date other unsuspecting women throughout California. How fucking terrifying is that? Yeah. One of these women was Grace Kwok, who he met on Match.com. And by September 2005, he had fully ingratiated himself into her life. He had moved into her second floor gated apartment in suburban El Monte, California, which is about 20 miles or about 32 kilometers east of Hollywood. Mm hmm. Kwok became pregnant with their child and (gasps) Gargiulo launched a new air conditioning business called 24-Hour Heating and Air to support them. However, um, as is his track record, Gargiulo did not treat her well. And finally, after plenty of physical abuse, Kwok moved out of their apartment on Thanksgiving weekend in 2005. However, Mm -hmm. again, the apartment is in her name and presumably the utilities are as well. She's moved out. And he is living there in this apartment with no name associated, like not his name. You know what I mean? Yep. So a few days after she moved out on December 1st, 2005, another woman moved in, not to the apartment, but to the complex. Yep. Um, Her name was Maria Bruno. She was a 32-year-old immigrant from El Salvador, and she was the mother of a five-year-old, four-year-old, and a pair of two-year-old twins and she had just moved to this gated complex because she thought it was safe Mm -hmm. um it literally had just left her husband irving um she had been in several violent fights with him he punched her in the face it was not a good (laughs) situation and after he punched her in the face she left and even though like i'm gonna put it out here now like the children remained in their father's custody which obviously I wouldn't advise, but at the same time, like the way I'm sure you all can guess this is going, thank God they did. Um, so she started dating a manager at Barcelona Restaurant in Pasadena and was working as a clerk for a collections department in Leaders Furniture Store in El Monte. Okay. And the store's owner, George Lieberman, said, quote, she worked one day with me. We knew her because she came to buy some furniture and applied for a job. I really never hire customers, but she was very different. She was pretty nice and had a good temperament, end quote. Mm. So and she she really she was all of these women. They were just gorgeous. Um, But Los Angeles County Sheriff's Department homicide detective Mark Lillianfeld later told 48 Hours, quote, she had picked that building specifically because it was very secure. You had to either have a passcode or a key to get through the front door. So it was a pretty secure building. But someone got past that security. The suspect entered through the kitchen. It appears from the evidence that he obtained a weapon there in the kitchen. Her body was somewhat mutilated. And you just, you know, that's crap you see in movies. In real life, that is very rare. It just doesn't happen, end quote. Yeah. And so to elaborate a bit more on that, after prying the screen loose from her kitchen window, the killer climbed through while Bruno slept and stabbed her 17 times. He mutilated her body, cutting off her breasts and even slicing off one of her nipples and putting it in her mouth.
1: Oh, God. Or like on her
0: mouth. Yeah. So the next morning when her husband Irving arrived at the apartment, he found her body in a pool of blood and called 911. (gasps) Just sobbing. Yeah. So Detective Lillian Feld told 48 Hours, quote, we're talking about a 90 pound, 32 year old woman who's defenseless, asleep in her bed in her home, where if there's any one place in the world, she should feel most secure that attack is every woman's nightmare, end quote. Fucking right on the nose. Like, yup. Yeah. Yep. Yeah, yep.
1: quite literally. And also, like, yeah, I would feel safe in that apartment too. Like, you need to have, like, a passcode or, like, get buzzed in.
0: Like, it's yeah, that's what I yeah. look for. So the only evidence left behind at the scene of the crime, like, they could not find anything else, was a single blue cotton booty. For a shoe. Ooh, okay. Do you remember? I do remember. By any chance? Okay. Do you remember? Um, so this was found in the courtyard right outside Bruno's apartment. And Detective Lillianfeld said of the booty, quote, it was kind of out of place, actually. On the sole of the booty was a drop of blood, and DNA testing proved that, in fact, it was Maria's blood, end quote. Mm. Also, hello to Bean. I heard him. Yes, he's,
1: re- he's very loud.
0: He has things to say. So, immediately the prime suspect and, uh, of Bruno's murder was, of course, her estranged husband, Irving. Uh, between his history of violence, the discovery of, the drops, of drops of blood in Br- of Bruno's in his car, um, all of this seemed like an open and shut case until he confirmed to police that shortly before her murder that evening, the couple had decided to reconcile and even went out to dinner to celebrate. Mm. So the restaurant manager confirmed that the couple was there that night and even said that Bruno had cut her finger shortly before they left and was bleeding as she went to her husband's car, which would explain then the drops of blood found in the car. Yep. So detectives interviewed neighbors. They checked arrest warrants of the building's occupants or arrest records of the building's occupants. Nobody in the gated community was seen as a possible perpetrator of this. Yes. Again, remember, Gargiulo is in an apartment that's not in his name.
1: Yep. So no one knows he's there.
0: Well, not only that, they went around and they did the whole, like, knock interview thing. And Gargiulo was never home when the police knocked on the door. They never responded, or he never responded to the cards they left asking to speak to him. Yep. And so he was never interviewed. They had no idea that he was there. All right. So without Irving as a prime suspect, the case, like Picaccio's and Ellerin's, went cold. And Gargiulo abruptly moved and went about 30 miles or 48 kilometers west to Santa Monica after meeting a woman who would, unfortunately for her, eventually become his wife at a showroom for plumbing and bathroom remodeling.
1: Oh, Jesus Christ.
0: Yeah. So a little under five months after Bruno's murder on April 28, 2008, at about 1230 a.m., Gargiulo attacked again breaking into the home of 26-year-old Santa Monica resident, Michelle Murphy. But this time things went differently. Then Santa Monica police Sergeant Richard Lewis told 48 hours, quote, he gained access into this window, which was open a few inches. And once he got inside there, he then opens the front door and kind of stages it as an escape route, proceeds into the bedroom where she is sleeping. And what awakens her is a knife being plunged into her. She was stabbed multiple oh. times in her chest and shoulder and and right arm, and she suffered several ru- wounds to both her hands as she's grabbing this knife as it's being plunged down upon her. End quote. Oh jeez. So Murphy, standing at five foot motherfucking one, immediately fights back. Yeah. And hell yeah. Gargiulo somehow manages to slice his own hand in the scuffle. <gasps> All right. So, Sergeant Lewis described Murphy to 48 Hours as, quote, just an incredible young lady and just someone who's very resilient and decided to fight, end quote. That's right. Present tense. We got a fucking surprise. I survived on our hands. Oh, hell yeah. Hell yeah. This is also
1: not to say that, like, anybody, like, else doesn't fight. Oh, yeah, um, no. Because, um... There could have been a struggle, but also
0: you don't expect to be fucking murdered in your goddamn be- bed. Yes, just like so. yes, just like they said earlier. Lillianfeld's um said earlier. But I I'm I wanna point this out because she really was so like she really thought I I'm pun not intended, as you'll see in a minute. She really thought on her feet. Yeah. Um Lewis said of the struggle, quote, at some point there was a lull in the action and she was able to get her feet up underneath and kick him off of her. Yeah. So She kicks him off the bed and he falls to the ground, gets scared like a little bitch and flees. While Murphy, who is still, you know, bleeding out from fucking stab wounds, chases him down the hallway of her (gasps) apartment and like all the way to the front door that he has left open of her home where Gargiulo just fucking goes, I'm sorry. Yeah. Uh, What? Yep. (laughs) So he flees, bleeding from his hand. This is important. Murphy then calls her boyfriend, who calls 911. And when the police call Murphy after he call after the boyfriend calls 911, they call her. And she describes her attacker as being left-handed. Um, he was wearing, like, clothing that concealed she couldn't see his face. He was wearing a baseball cap. Uh, she said, quote, he was in pants and, like, a long-sleeve, like, sweatshirt kind of thing. He was at most, I don't know, like, 5'11 or something, end quote. Uh-huh. So when Sergeant Lewis arrived, his team and he found blood on the steps to Murphy's home and followed the trail down to the walkway into an alley near her apartment. Samples of the blood were sent off to the crime lab for testing. And about 25 days later, it came back as being a match to Gargiulo, who -hmm. they discovered lived in the second building down with a window that faced directly towards Murphy's bedroom. Yeah. Plus, Murphy later testified that before the attack, Gargiulo passed her in that same alley while she was working out and tried to talk to her and she rebuffed his advances. Wow. Yeah. So on June 6, 2008, Gargiulo was arrested by the Santa Monica Police Department and charged with assault. When he was taken into custody, Gargiulo asked which agency was making the arrest, like which police department or like. Was it like the FBI? Somebody else. You know what I mean? And that set off major alarm bells for Sergeant Lewis. And he was like, okay, so he's done this before. He just hasn't been caught yet. Yep. So then Sergeant Lewis, mind like a steel fucking trap, recalled a conversation that he had once had years before with Detective Lillianfeld about a murder with a similar MO that had happened in El Monte and Mm -hmm. gave uh, gave him a call. Not years Ago. i don't know why i said that um but so it turned out that gargiulo had lived close enough to maria bruno to also have watched her from his apartment yeah she even had talked to her friends about the quote strange guy across the way end quote and the creepy interactions they would have and remember she lived there for like less than two weeks less than two weeks and he's already yeah. making enough of an impression on her that she is mentioning it to her friends yeah At one point, Gargiulu even walked into her apartment just unannounced, like he did at Ellerin's, only leaving when Bruno confronted him and was like, what the fuck are you doing? Get the fuck out. Yeah. Furthermore, one of Bruno's former neighbors, Robert Rasmussen, later told police that days before the attack, a man wearing a hoodie and a baseball hat was jiggling Bruno's doorknob and peering through her window. (gasps) On another day, Rasmussen said he saw the man following her as she carried groceries and police believe that this was Gargiulo. Resmussen said, quote, she went into the apartment and he followed her in. The minute he stepped over the threshold, he backed out and the door was shut in his face. Mm. Um, The door was shut, end quote, but to specify it was in his face. Yeah. So Detective Lillianfeld and Sergeant Lewis decided to revisit the crime scene from Bruno's murder where they searched what ended up being Gargiulo's former apartment and discover a blue booty hidden in the attic. Hmm. So, not only was this, like, it looked the same, it right down to the manufacturer and model number, it was identical to the one found at the scene of Bruno's murder with Bruno's blood on it.
1: Damn.
0: Yeah. So then it was discovered that Gargiulo had lived only a couple of blocks away from Ellerin as well, and would frequently watch her. He would go to the park across the street from her house with his dog and pretend to be like there with his dog and would just watch her house for hours.
1: Oh my God, that's so creepy. I know. Everybody close your
0: blinds. Stop what you're doing and close your blinds right now. Stalkers is like one of my least favorite things. Hell fucking no. So Sergeant Lewis said, quote, it was like the lottery. It is ironic, but it does happen. When officers network, we solve cases, end quote. Hear that? Spend your time networking instead of beating black people. You think I wasn't going to work it in there? Whoa, whoa, whoa. So on September 4th, 2008, so Gargiulo is already in jail for the assault and attempted murder charges on Michelle Murphy in Santa Monica. Yeah. Then he was indicted on two additional charges for the the murders of Ellerin and Bruno. Mm -hmm. So... Very quickly, Gargiulo's case, especially with Ellerin's connection to Ashton Kutcher, very quickly it dominated the headlines in Los Angeles. Not only are they solving two cold cases, one of them is Ashton Kutcher's ex girlfriend. It's like a whole thing. Yeah, um, and soon it went from like just like headlines in L.A. to nationwide headlines, and the media dubbed him "quote the Hollywood Ripper," also the Chiller Killer, which I don't love. It's no, like a weird, that. I prefer Hollywood Ripper if we have to give him Stop a name.
1: giving these guys fun names.
0: Well, there was one more, and it was the boy next door killer.
1: No, I don't like that. That one's stupid.
0: Yeah, it, it's, I'm, I'm not a fan, but who am I, I guess, to say anything. But Maybe still. he should
1: get a stupid name.
0: He should get a stupid name, but I don't know. I feel like that's a little too innocent. Speaking of which... Gargiulo, this entire time in jail, maintained his innocence. Yeah, "Yeah, of course he did. Um, He said on the record while he was in jail awaiting trial, quote, my truth is being 100% innocent, being wrongfully charged. It's a matter of waiting and knowing that there will be victory because I know I'm innocent. And it's just now putting it down, putting it down in the courtroom and just being patient, end quote. Probably a fucking river. No wonder he couldn't get an acting job. That's the best you got. Meanwhile, in Chicago, the Picachios catch wind that Gargiulo has been arrested for two murders and an attempted murder in California. Yeah. Yeah. And they're fucking convinced. They're like, okay, this is all we need to charge him. Like, we went to the police about this guy before. We were really suspicious of him. His family fucking disappeared him when he tried to, we think, confess. Yeah. However, the circumstances were still not seen as being enough by the district attorney's office. Wow. And nothing happened, even though they were like begging and they were like, he should be charged with Trisha's murder. Yes. So nothing happened for years with the boccaccio case until on May 14th, 2011, 48 Hours ran a... And the, it's, it's season 24, episode 24 of the series, and it's titled The Boy Next Door. Okay. And it was on Picaccio's unsolved murder and how Gargiulo, who, again, was, like, known at that point, how he could possibly be involved. And 48 Hours had been, like, working on covering Picaccio's case anyway. Yeah, but then so when this they, was, like, added. Yeah, when they, when they, like, they took, they spent years trying to get the Picaccios to trust them, and then they find this out and they're like, look, we've got, like, a big story here. Yeah. So, Almost immediately after the episode aired, Leary, remember that bouncer that I mentioned before? Yeah. He reached out to Mayor Maureen Mayer, and also, like, the other bouncer, DiLorenzo. He texted him, but he watched this episode, and he recognized Gargiulo's mugshot and was like, holy shit, I know that guy. Whoa. So, at this point, he and um, DiLorenzo were fathers, and Leary later told 48 Hours, quote, I get emotional because I, I love my children. And when when I look at him and I see that video and see to this day, I get a pain in my chest that any man would have to miss and love their child like that. Mm. I said, I have I have to let somebody know what I know. End quote. So he then talked to DiLorenzo and was like, but look at this. This is fucking this we know this guy. Yeah. And so DiLorenzo contacted Mayer and said that back in 2000, when Gargiulo DiLorenzo and he were working together, Gargiulo confessed to them that he had murdered a girl in Illinois. Mm -hmm. DiLorenzo later told 48 hours, quote, we were cruising down sunset. He asked us, he's like, you guys ever kill anybody? And he's like, I have. And we're 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 like, shut the you know, shut up. And he goes, yeah, I buried a bitch. He goes, I left the bitch on the steps for dead, end quote. Why? So they thought he was just like fucking around. They thought he was lying. And then this is so similar to that story he told them that they were just like, holy shit, he was not lying. And so 48 Hours then referred them to the Cook County Sheriff's Department being like, tell them what you just told us. And on July 7th, 2011, Gargiulo was indicted for the murder of Trisha Boccaccio- almost 18 years after her murder. Wow. Yeah. I've got chills. I don't know about you. I've got chills. Yeah. Could be that I'm also in the direct path of my AC event, but I'm going to go with I have chills. Probably. Um. So then Cook County State Attorney Anita Alvarez told reporters in a um press release statement thing, quote, This new evidence that has just come forward about after the 48-hour episode, really coupled with the DNA, we feel at this point that we have sufficient evidence, end quote. Mm. It only took fucking 18 years. Yeah, right. However, justice still did not come swiftly for any of these women. Um, It took Gargiulo almost 11 years to go to trial, which is longer than any other inmate in the history of the L.A. County Jail. Mm. So a pre-trial hearing was held on July on, on June 9th, 2017 in Los Angeles Superior Court with the trial being scheduled for October 2017. But then there were nearly 100 other hearings. Uh, this dude is like firing attorneys, hiring new ones. At one point he's even trying to represent himself and finally like the judge is just like no more of this shit. Appoints him a court-appointed legal team and That's it. Trial began on May 2nd, 2019. Uh Uh-huh. So during the trial, prosecutor Dan Aikman, he gave like just some really great opening remarks. Um, One line that I loved, quote, the methodical and systematic slaughter of women. That's what this case is about. End quote. Just like, oh boy, you got it. Mm. Um, he also said, quote, what you will hear is that Michael Gargiulo for almost 15 years was watching, always watching, and his hobby was plotting the perfect opportunity to attack women with a knife in and around their homes, end quote. Mm. So after the prosecution showed photos from Murphy's attack, she was called to the stand. Um, f- full disclosure, over 250 witnesses were called for this trial. Well, oh. Yeah. So during Murphy's testimony, she described the attack and how she fought back, saying, quote, I grabbed at the knife. I wrapped my hands around the blade and, quote, <gasps> that's what I mean. This is a badass motherfucker. So yeah. after Murphy testified, the prosecution turned to the other victims to prove Gargiulo's pattern of stalking and stabbing. Aikman said, quote, Gargiulo entered Maria's apartment through a window, put on blue surgical booties and mutilated Maria with a knife as she slept, end quote. He also argued that the pattern and direction of the blood drops showed that the killer was left-handed, just like Murphy said her attacker was, and just Mm -hmm. like Gargiulo is. Yeah. So then Aikman turned to Ellerin's case and said, quote, Gargiulo, who lived within a short distance from Ashley's house and frequented the dog park across from her house, injected himself into Ashley's life. On February 21st, 2001, within weeks of Gargiulo fixating on Ashley, surveilling her home at odd hours, Ashley Ellerin was found stabbed to death in the hallway just outside her bathroom. Ashley had been stabbed over 47 times, end quote. Like, this dude is like, he's he knows what he's doing. Yeah. It was at this point that Kutcher got called to the stand to testify on what he witnessed when he arrived at Ellerin's home the night she was murdered. And also he's believed to possibly have been the last person to speak to her before she died. Wow. Yeah. So Aikman showed a court, showed the court, a diagram of like the layout of Ellerin's home to support Kutcher's testimony. And was just like, quote, that's her bedroom where we believe she had just exited the shower and was getting ready to go out with Mr. Kutcher when she was attacked from behind. And then there was a struggle in the right area Area right outside the bathroom where she was stabbed forty-seven times. End quote. Mm-hmm. And Kutcher testified that after learning about Ashley's murder, he immediately quote went to the police. I was like, my fingerprints are on this door. Like I was freaking out. End quote. Yeah, yeah. And also, innocent. I mean, guilty people don't do that. They don't go to the police. And go, hey, you can find my fingerprints here, 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 and here.
1: I mean, sometimes they do. Sometimes, sometimes they, they do. Wanna, sometimes like, get they get ahead of it. And yeah, like, I'll they ingratiate totally help themselves. You out.
0: Um, But as the trial went on, Aikman pointed out other characteristics of Gargiulo's, including his violent tendencies towards the women he dated, um, his fascination with none other than piece of shit in chief Ted Bundy. Uh
1: Um,
0: It was also revealed by one of the other prosecutors, Garrett Dameron, that Gargiulo had at one point told his former best friend Mirko Hoffman that, quote, he could get away with committing crimes because he studied forensics, end quote. And he did. He like hunkered down and really studied forensics. He threatened um one of his ex-girlfriends and said the same thing when he threatened to kill her. He was like, I, I've studied forensics, so I know how to kill you and no one will find me. Yeah. Um, Hoffman told 48 hours, quote, the like the the ex-best friend. Quote, he would go online, whatever he could find about forensics, he would learn from people's mistakes and other criminals mistakes, you know, how to get away with a crime. And he told me if he ever got caught committing any crime, he would just lie until he dies. Lie, lie until you die. End quote. Jeez. So Dameron also revealed that Gargiulo had also studied a book titled The Anarchist Cookbook, Mm -hmm. which taught how to kill with a knife. And the prosecution stated that Gargiulo never raped his victims. The sexual thrill to his crimes came from the fact that he got off over being in control. Yeah, He loved that he could control his victims and also control the situation and whether or not his victims lived or died. Mm -hmm. So to drive this point home, prosecutors even brought the jury to the scenes of the crimes just to show how close Gargiulo lived to all of his victims Furthermore, to strengthen their argument that this was a pattern for Gargiulo, they even though it wasn't being like it wasn't part of this trial, he wasn't being tried for it. They brought up Picaccio's murder in 1993 and the entire Picaccio family testified against Gargiulo about this murder and about his relationship to their family. Mm-hmm. They They came out to California to do this shit and to like just fucking nail him to the wall. Yeah. So Aikman told the jury, quote, you will hear that Gargiulo's killing spree started in Chicago in the summer of 1993, almost 26 years ago, when Gargiulo killed his first victim, his neighbor, then 18-year-old Tr- Trisha Boccaccio. Gargiulo, who was athletic and had trained in martial arts and boxing, grabbed Trisha, who was very petite, snapped her arm and stabbed her repeatedly in the left breast, arm and chest, left her mm-hmm. bleeding to death on the doorstep of the family home and fled, end quote. Mm-hmm. So, in the courtroom, Gargiolo's defense attorney Daniel Nardoni didn't really have much of a leg to stand on, so he argued the possibility that someone else besides his client could have killed these women. because, mm-hmm. like, what else do you have, my dude? Yeah, um, they got DNA. What do you have? So he said of, like the case, quote, "There's not one single witness called for for the Ellerin case." He said, quote, there is not one single witness called by the prosecution that saw Michael Gargiulo go into the house, end quote. Furthermore, he argued Kutcher's testimony. He he was just like, yeah, Kutcher's testimony is great. And it does prove that, like, somebody was in there. Mm -hmm. But it was Durbin. Okay. And so then he argued that Durbin was, again, at Ellerin's house prior to Kutcher's arrival. They had even been intimate beforehand. And. Allegedly, he said Durbin was at the house when Ellerin went to take a shower. He was at the house when she got a phone call from Ashton Kutcher. And then Durbin left after she took the phone call. Okay. A neighbor then testified that at about 825 or 830 p.m., he heard two screams coming from Ellerin's home. And fucking Nardoni was like, see, it's Durbin. hmm So... Like, okay, but also, no. So, finally, on August 15th, 2019, 43-year-old Michael Gargiulo was convicted on all counts. The penalty phase of his California trial started on October 7th, 2019, and after hours of deliberation on October 18th, 2019, a jury recommended that Gargiulo receive the death penalty for the murders of Ellerin and Bruno. Sentencing was initially set for February 28th, 2020, but it was delayed by both defense motions and the coronavirus pandemic.
1: Mm-hmm. You ever hear of that? It's so crazy to
0: think that, like, this is so recent. It's so oh, recent. No, you For have no idea. A huge case. You have no idea how recent. On July 16th, 2021, oh. last fucking week, Gargiula was sentenced to death by Los Angeles Superior Court Judge Larry Paul Fidler who denied Gargiulo's request for a new trial. And the court spokesperson said that Gargiulo, that Fiddler called the attacks, quote, completely vicious and frightening, end quote. Yeah. Gargiulo now faces extradition back to Illinois for the first degree charge of Picaccio's murder. And if convicted, he'll face 25 years to life in prison. Not that it matters, but I do hope he gets convicted. But it doesn't really matter. He's a family. Yeah. But yeah, that is the story of these badass women, Trisha picaccio Maria Bruno, uh, Ashley Ellerin, and Michelle Murphy. Yeah, I remember And none for Michael Gargiolo. Bye.
1: Yeah. (laughs) I remember hearing about this case, um, basically when Ashton Kutcher like made Mm -hmm. his statement. Mm -hmm. Like that's when it became like huge.
0: See, I remembered it from when like I was reading like a like a ranker article, you know? Like it was like one of those things and it was It was back in, I want to say, like, it was right when, like, Gargiulo got caught. Okay. And they were like, did you know that Ashton Kutcher dated a girl that was murdered and is, like, involved in her case? And I was like, I fucking did not know that. The little true crime fan in me was just like, excuse? Tell me about this right now. Yes. And so, yeah. But then I didn't make the connection. I didn't know that he had, for lack of a better word, a nickname Uh until relatively recently, at which point I was like, oh. We need, to, we need to do something about that. Yeah. And we did. And you just heard it. it. <gasps> Look at that. Look at us. Who would have thought?
1: <laughs> Not me.
0: Didn't Not we do it at the top? Um, we can do it as many times as we want. It is our podcast. That's true. I know. All right. Well, yeah. the pop culture of this one is the case itself. Oh, so. yeah. I guess I should have said that from, <laughs> from the get go. Yeah. The pop culture is the case itself. Um, if, if you want, I can go through and do like some stats on like every Ashton Kutcher movie, but I don't think you want that. Um, you can't really watch that 70 show anywhere that I can tell you because it's something that hurts me deeply. Um, I've tried and failed, uh, but it does have an eight out of 10 on IMDB. Um, it was, he was great in it and the show clearly afforded him a lot of, a lot of, luxuries and stuff ashton kutcher has since um done work to try to stop sex trafficking um he has though though from i I don't have all of the information on it i'm no expert but allegedly this has also been not so great because it's been used to like identify and arrest sex workers um but i don't know i'm not sure how accurate any of this is i have not delved deep into this Okay. Enough to know at all, but I figure I'll put it out there. Um but yeah. It's it's a fucking it's 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 this is this is a wild ride of a story. I'll tell you that much. Yeah. But that's all. all that's right. all she wrote. That
1: is all she wrote,
0: and she is you. I would know. I was going to say I would know because I am the she that wrote the notes. All right. Well, um you can go to our website,
1: Crime Culture Podcast. dot com. We have Facebook, Instagram, Twitter. Um, we also have Patreon, and Not this a was a Patreon pick. So you got to say want, it right.
0: I don't remember it. Patreon, patron, poll, and puss pick. It's that. So, yeah. uh, if
1: you want to have a hand in what episodes we do, you can join our Patreon and do that and um yeah that's it until next time we will see you next Tuesday hell yeah okay, bye bye